Tonight we're going to read verses 1 to 7. Really going to focus in on verse 1 tonight of Ecclesiastes 5. <clears throat> there are a number of things that we learned thus far in this book, and Solomon continues to come to the conclusion that life is meaningless and empty apart from the Lord. He's been searching for meaning. Where is meaning? What are we here for? All of that. Everything that he sees, it's all vanity. But surely he can find meaning in the house of God. But there too he sees things. Things that are perhaps troubling to him. And so he gives us a number of imperatives within these set of verses as we come into the house of God. A great reminder of not only... Uh, the, the fact of us coming to church and being at church into the house of God, but it really deals a lot with our actions while we're here, our thoughts, our, our, our speech. It really teaches us not to be so carefree when you come into the house of God, but to take into account the weightiness of the glory of God as you come into the place in which He is going to be worshipped. Perhaps often we think of uh, carefree churches in the sense of maybe the more uh, entertainment-driven churches that have so much available for people to keep them occupied during the hour, hour and a half that they're there. And while that is very true, there are churches that are specifically geared towards that for entertainment value in order to build up the congregation, build up the attendance rather. But at the same time, though these churches are ones to be guarded against, we have to remember, too, that on the other side of the coin, there are those churches that delight so much in the rituals that go on, in the formalisms that go on, the liturgy that goes on, that they, too, can miss the, the majesty of God and the reason why we are truly here. There are some forms of worship that are just beautiful. They really are. You think of some of the things that are done in more of the high church uh, places. It is beautiful. It is inspiring in some sense. But you can get so caught up in the loveliness of it that you miss the point as to why you're there. Because you're just going through the form. And you're delighting more in the form than you do in the one to whom it's supposed to point you to. That is also something that, that we must guard against and... When it comes to rituals and formalities and all of that, the ancient church, specifically speaking of ancient Israel, and their forms of worship had many things, many aspects to their worship that you could, get, you could get very caught up in. So it's not just contemporary churches, the entertainment-driven churches that we need to be thinking about, but also those that have high liturgy or just liturgy in general. We have a liturgy here. Our liturgy is very simple, but it is a liturgy that we have tried to formulate in the sense of pointing us to the gospel. It's very intentional, and that's what we have to keep focused upon when we come in, is the reason for everything that we do is to point us to the majesty of God, because He is the object of worship, and that's why we're here. So just as an example, just to maybe explain very quickly, I mean, when we come in, uh, on the Lord's Day, we have a moment to just pray to ourselves, to remind ourselves as to why we're here. We're here to worship. We're here to ascribe worth to God. We have the reading of the psalm, the reading of God's word, in order to confront us immediately with the majesty and the glory of God. And then, after we are confronted with Him, we have the demonstration of, of our submission to Him, of our trust in Him, of our faith in Him as we give our offering unto the Lord. And we pray throughout the service. Then we sing unto the Lord. We sing the praises of our God as a demonstration of our thankfulness, the, the genuine love that we have in our hearts. We express it with the fruit of our lips, as the writer of Hebrews says. 
And then we are eager to hear the word of God preached to us that we can hear what God says to his people that we may carry it out. And that in itself is the form of the gospel. You're confronted with the majesty of God. You, you, you believe upon him. You cast your faith upon him. You're, you're trusting in him. You, you recognize that everything that you have is his. You rejoice before him. You're delighting in him. You're praying unto him. And you're eager to hear his word that you can understand how he desires for you to live before him. So our liturgy is very simple, but it is to point us to the majesty of God. But there too, regardless of how simple they are or how high church they are, they too you can get lost in and lose the focus as to why we are here. The first command that Solomon is going to give us in this passage is to guard your steps as you enter the house of God. Now, the scripture does have instances, of course, in which churches did not guard their steps and found themselves being rebuked by the Lord. And some are very uh, familiar to us in which the house of God had become a den of thieves For example, with the money changers in the temple, or you had in the church of Corinth, people drinking excessively during communion, they didn't have little cups. (laughs) Or as James says, even people showing favoritism is also something that brought rebuke upon that particular people. You had the prophets that were continually Continually saying throughout many of the Old Testament prophetic writings that the the children of Israel were just going through the motions. It was empty worship. There was no heart in it. And so here we have Solomon. He's been considering many aspects of life. The emptiness and the meaningless apart from the life of God. And now he turns his attention to the church. What does he find? What does he say to us? What does, he, what does he tell us to be careful of? He really finds uh, some disturbing things, of course, but really we have this emphasis here of giving us warnings of the kind of worship that offends the Lord. We think that any kind of worship is great or Any kind of worship should be sufficient. There's the kind of worship that offends the Lord. And that's where Solomon is writing to remind us that God is the object of our worship. As Jesus said in our opening passage, we are to worship in spirit and in truth. We worship God with the whole self. And so in the passage, he is going to confront us about our actions, our words, and our thoughts. And I pray that this will be a a help to us, that we would heed the words of the preacher. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We will read verses 1 to 7, and then come back specifically to verse 1. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words. Let us give our attention to the Holy Scripture. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. And draw near to listen, rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore let your words be few, for the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, Do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. Let's pray together. Holy Father, thank you again for this portion of your word. 
And Father, we pray that once again the Spirit of God would open our hearts and our minds, helping us, Lord, to be mindful of how we come before you. For all of us here, and many times perhaps for all of us, that we've entered into this place just to be here, just to be seen, not taking into account that we are coming here to worship a holy God. Father, forgive us. And we ask that you would help us uh, to, to see the beauty and the majesty of, of who you are. That our lips will de desire to praise you and our hearts will desire to praise you. That our actions that we perform in the midst of the congregation as we worship are those that are not the sacrifice of fools but those who genuinely desire to honor you. Father, do a mighty work within our hearts tonight through this passage, and may we be a people that honors our Lord. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's children said, Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so here again, here's the preacher. Here is Solomon. <clears throat> Though he has been contrasting wisdom, he's been contrasting so many things thus far, now he turns his attention to the house of God. And the first thing that he says <clears throat> is to guard your steps. This is really the first imperative. Guard your steps. And then he really ends the section with saying, fear God. Forming what's referred to as an inclusio, that you have the beginning here, the beginning admonition, which coincides with the final thought there, really saying the same thing with the details in the middle. He says, guard your steps, really keep your foot is the idea. Keep your foot as you enter the house of God, as you go to the house of God. This is, again, the first command. One writer says of these admonitions that are given here that they, they, they counsel caution, reverence, restraint, moderation, and sincerity before the Lord as well as a recognition that God is God. And that is one of the first things, one of the first uh, things that he emphasizes in these words to guard your steps as you enter the house of God. For one, he, that phrase, the house of God, this is the place in which God has placed his name. This is in Jerusalem, of course. This is referring to the temple in Solomon's day. This is the place that God says, I will put my name there. And this is the place where you have the annual feast that they would come in order to worship God collectively and to rejoice before him. In order to do this, you must recognize who he is, that he is the thrice holy God. You're not just coming to gather. You're not just coming to see friends and family. You're coming to ascribe worth to a holy God. And that is the reason why Solomon is saying, guard your steps. You're not just going any place. You're going to the house of God. Keep your foot as you go to the house of God. And it's very interesting, one, that Solomon himself would, would give this command, considering that he did not take his own advice for a lot of his life. But perhaps that makes him... One that we need to give our attention to as he sees uh, the futility of life apart from the Lord and worship apart from the Lord. As he turned to pagan idols, he fell into idolatry. He didn't recognize God as God. And Israel had often done this as well within numerous places within the Old Testament. And so Solomon, perhaps coming back to himself as he is penning Ecclesiastes towards the end of his life, he looks back over and he sees the things that he saw at the temple and he remembers himself as being the one who had strayed and he says to his readers, don't make the mistakes that I did. Recognize God for who he is, the true and living God, and therefore guard your steps. He's not a pagan idol that you can just come carefree to. This is the place in which, as, as Moses was told by the Lord, take your shoes off your feet. This is holy ground. Remove your sandals. 
he said to Moses. And just as Dr. Lawson says, what was he saying? What was he saying to Moses when he pierced to Moses and he says, remove the sandals from your feet? He was saying to Moses, we're not equals. You don't approach me casually. And teaching Moses who he was. And here Solomon is is really bringing that that reality back to his readers. Guard your steps as you come to the house of God. This is the house of the mighty one. This is the house of the almighty. So guard your steps. And this this is really applicable to any local church. For we recognize that, as Jesus says, it's not going to be in this mountain or that mountain that you're going to worship the Lord, but you're going to worship Him in spirit and in truth. This is the omnipotent, omnipresent God who is everywhere, who can be worshipped by His people at any place in the world. That they gather together to ascribe Him worth, and therefore the place in which they gather can rightly be called the house of God, because this is the place that is set aside specifically for that. This is the house of God. And so guard your steps. Keep your foot when you enter into the house of God. When you come into this place, what are you coming for? What is your motivation for being here? Do you recognize that this is the place in which we are privileged to come and worship the thrice holy God? Yes, it's a building. Made by human hands, just as the temple was as well. But because God was there, it made it special. And we recognize as well, just as people have said a number of times when I was growing up within my own immediate family, the very thing that was said was, well, we can worship God anywhere. We don't have to go to church. But we recognize too, according to Psalm 87, that the Lord loves The gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. What is he getting at? While the worship of God was going on throughout the entire land of Israel and the Levites teaching the people of who God was, it was a special time when all the people gathered collectively at the temple for the annual feasts. And he says, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. There is a special time that... that, that, God delights in when his people gather for worship collectively. So do you come with that kind of recognition of of we're coming to ascribe worth to God. We're coming to sing the praises of the one who has delivered us from sin, delivered us from his wrath, who has granted us the adoption as sons and daughters of the great king who has made us his own possession. This God who has spoken all things into existence and upholds it with the power of of his own might, never growing weary, never growing tired. This is the God that has called you from darkness into his marvelous light. Do you come here with the recognition that you are coming here to ascribe worth to him? Or as the scripture tells us to ascribe glory to him. It's not meaning that God needs us for his glory. In, in the sense that he, he depends upon us. You have God's intrinsic glory. Glory that is his alone and that he has regardless of who worships and who don't. It is the sum total of of his attributes. Actually, John Piper would say of God's glory, um, the, the brilliance of light that surrounds the very being of God is his holiness on display and his holiness being in reference to the sum of all the divine attributes of God. The uniqueness of God. Do you come here with the recognition that you have the privilege of worshiping that God? The one true God. Because that's the privilege that we have as children of God. As those who have been redeemed by Christ, we have that privilege of coming in to this place collectively and to offer Him the praise of our lips. And that's why we are here. This is His house. This is the place that is set aside for His worship. 
So recognizing this, recognizing that this is the purpose as to why this place is here and why we gather. How do we, how do we make certain that as we come into this place that, that our minds are focused as they should be and that, that we're, we're reflecting upon God's greatness throughout the, the, the entirety of the service? How do we do that? Well, it doesn't come through doing a whole bunch of rituals unless those point you to those truths of who He is. It doesn't come through programs or dramas. It doesn't come through dance teams. It doesn't come through any of those except through the Word of God being expounded to the people of God throughout the entirety of the time they are collectively brought together. If we come into this place, it really begins with our attitude. But if we come into this place with that recognition as we're coming into the doors, this is the day I'm coming to worship God. This is, this is us getting ourselves ready as we come into the house of God. It starts there. And then when we come and we gather, we recognize that we're not here for ourselves. We're not here to be self-serving or to have everybody just to serve us because we're self-centered people. As Alistair Begg says, worship doesn't begin with man. Worship begins with God and His glory. And so we have that mindset I'm coming for this purpose. And so we want to emphasize the greatness of God as we are here together. That's why we're here. So how do we do that? How do we emphasize God's greatness that it is a constant reminder to the people who are here? Well, the right thinking as we come into the place of God Recognizing we're coming to his house and recognizing all that he done for us in Christ. Right thinking. Emphasizing the greatness of God through expository preaching. It's one reason why we do not do topical preaching. Now when I say topical preaching, I'm referring to having some teaching that you would like to do. And then having to find verses of scripture to support your thesis. There is topical expository preaching in which you have a particular topic. Like we went through systematic theology, for example. And so we took a number of different doctrines, but we expounded the scripture. We expounded the passage and let the passage speak to us. For example, there was one guy that is not a fan of... Reformed people. And I had heard that he was um, very emphatic on that. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. And so I listened to <clears throat> one of his sermons just to kind of, you know, hear how he preached. And, you know, you, you, you learn to appreciate people, you know, that they, they're genuine and they desire uh, the glory and the honor of God and Wondering how faithful is he to the scripture and this sort of thing. And so I wasted an hour of my life. And I listened to it. And he was preaching a sermon on humility. And I thought, wow, this is, gonna, this is a great opportunity right here. You could preach a great sermon on humility. And I'm not going to tell you the passage yet, but here's what he did. He emphasized throughout the entirety of his sermon how we need to be humble. God opposes the proud. He draws nigh to the humble. And he just kept emphasizing we need to walk humbly before our God. And God delights in humility. But there was never a time in which he expounded any particular verse. But he just kept emphasizing this and then reading passages that had the word humble in it. So that's a topical sermon. You have your thesis. You find verses in order to support what you're saying. Topical expository preaching would have done this. If we want to talk about humility, we want to help people to cultivate humility in their life, not just tell them to be humble. So how do we do that? 
we go to the greatest example of humility, which is in Philippians 2, speaking of the humility of Christ. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then speaks of him condescending, taking on human flesh, all of this. This is not only the greatest example of the one who was humble, but it teaches you how to be humble. Why do we do expository preaching? Because that's the only faithful preaching. I don't have to figure out what to say to you. Jason doesn't have to figure out what to say to you. We only read the scripture and allow the scripture to speak for itself because it's in expository preaching that the glory of God is set before you because we recognize that this is the word of God. And because it is the word of God, we recognize that when it is expounded faithfully, that it is Christ who stands above the man. It is Christ who stands above the pulpit and it is Christ speaking to you. Not me, not him. Or whoever stands behind the pulpit. We're just the instrument. Faithful preaching is going to be preaching that delivers to you the intent of the author. Because God is the author. This is what I said. This is how I want you to understand it. And so we recognize that in expository preaching, Christ stands above the man and he speaks to his people. And if you have that kind of preaching, then you have preaching that is God exalting and that lays the glory of God before you. And so that is one thing that we do as well. We want to have the right thinking as we come in. We want to set the majesty of God before you with, with true preaching, with, with, with correct preaching. We want to have songs that emphasize the majesty of God. Some songs are simple. Some are a little bit more in-depth. But we want the theology to be correct because we recognize that this is a time of ascribing worth to God. And so we want you, as you sing and as you're, you're, you're relaying your heart to the Lord, that what you are saying back to Him is in agreement with what He said. Because that's the way we pray too, isn't it? We pray in such a way that we take the truths of God and we deliver it right back to him. At, at Grand Bible College, uh, you, you can ask a number of us that were there. One of the men that I love to hear preach, or excuse me, love to hear pray as well as them was Dr. Blevins. And Dr. Blevins would pray because Dr. Blevins was so immersed in the Psalms especially he would take a number of the things that were in the Psalms, and as he began his prayer, he was delivering it right back to the Lord. Taking the Word of God in, allowing it to fester in the heart and to speak it back. And so that's the way we want our singing to be. Because we don't want our minds to wander off to something else. We want to continually place before you the majesty of God. So that you're guarding your steps, you're guarding your footing, you're guarding your mind as you come into the place of God. And that we're not causing you to stumble by placing something else before you that is untrue of God. As we come into the house of God, we are recognizing God for who He is. And so everything that is done is done with that purpose. Let us sing what is true. Let us preach what is true. Let us pray what is true. That there is no stumbling in your understanding of who God is. That if you understand the holiness of God as much as we are able to understand the holiness of God. That every time that we enter into this place. We are entering in with the joy of our hearts. I'm coming to worship a holy God who called me. He called me. We want to sing songs that emphasize that. Songs of, of joy, recounting the majesty of God, sometimes song of pain and suffering, that we recount the majesty of God. And so guard your steps as you enter the house of God, remembering who He is. That's the emphasis. Remembering who He is as you come into the place in which He is worshipped. And Solomon goes on. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. 
and draw near to listen. Now, I am very thankful for our church and for the people that are here. Because we don't have instances in which people just randomly stand up and want to give their speech for the night or recount the same testimony that they did the other night. Now, there's nothing wrong with giving testimony. You have a testimony. You want to tell others about what God has done for you, how God has delivered you from this or from that. And that's wonderful. There's a time for that. There's a place for that. Often what we find in a lot of the churches around here is that it's more of emphasizing me. It's more uh, self-aggrandizing than anything. We want to just speak and we want to be heard and we want to have a competition with somebody else over there. Well, I was the biggest sinner, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. I was the biggest sinner. I did this and I did that and then somebody else stands up. Well, I was... <laughs> it can get interesting, that's for sure. And, uh, I, you know, I, I'm not trying to be mean when I say this, but I just never understood this. And maybe afterwards somebody can come up and explain it to me. But I never understood whether it was a man or it was a woman who was giving their testimony that they would say things like, like say it was an evening service, that they would say, I love the Lord tonight. Like, what about last night? What about earlier today? I don't understand. But here's what ends up happening. That we end up getting so caught off guard or we're so consumed with whatever somebody else is saying that again we forget the reason why we're here. There is a, there is a time for testimony. Absolutely. People have things that they want to share with others. This is what God has done for me. And that's a great encouragement. It really is. I love hearing what God is doing in the lives of others because it brings joy to my heart thinking that is, that is wonderful that God has gifted you with this or that God has shown you this within his word that you come to this understanding of things. It's wonderful to speak with other believers and to see what they're studying. And so we, we come together and we're, we're sharpening one another. That's wonderful. But there's a time for it. There's a place. When we come into this place, we're coming here to worship God and to hear from God. That's why he says here, draw near to listen. Listen to the word as it is read to you. Join in as, the, as, as whoever is leading you in prayer to listen to what they're saying and to say in your heart, amen, because this is true. You recognize that, that as, as someone is leading you in prayer, it's not just closing your eyes and waiting till they're done. You should be engaged in that prayer as well as whatever is coming out of somebody's mouth. And you say to yourself, yes, Lord, that is true of you. Oh, Lord, thank you that you are the glorious God, that you are the merciful God, that you're the God who delivered me. Yes, and amen. There absolutely should be that engaging in the prayer. And we're listening and we're hearing what's being said. And as the word of God is expounded to you, first you should be like a Berean. You need to make sure that whatever is coming to you is true. And when you, when you are in your own studies and you're learning the word of God and you're, you, you know we're going through Ecclesiastes. You know we're going through Titus. There's no guessing as to where we're going to be on Sundays and Wednesdays. And so you can be studying this already. And you can already be uh, up on what's, what's being said here. And that way when something is delivered to you, that you say in your heart, yes, that is true. And you, 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 you yearn for it even more. Oh Lord, speak to my heart. And you're here to listen. We, we, don't, we don't often listen if we're so focused on other things. 
You know, there's all kinds of techniques that, that churches use in order to try to stir up the people of God. Um, again, there's, there's, the, there's the dramas or, you know, some churches like to, to use a movie and then expound the movie or whatever. You know what God has chosen? He's chosen the foolishness of preaching to save some. That's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 1. And through the foolishness of this act, God saves people and God grows his people as his word is being delivered faithfully. And so we draw in to listen. And to listen with our hearts. Oh Lord, speak to my heart. That's why we, we depend on whoever stands behind the pulpit. Or whoever sits in the classroom to teach you. That they have studied what it is that they are going to deliver to you. That it will be true. That they have something to say. And that's something that Dr. Lawson says often. Apart from the word of God, the preacher has nothing to say. You know, Alistair Begg kind of made the joke about being in more of the entertainment-driven churches. And he said, you know, what do you got for me? He's like, I got nothing. We should have something to say. But not something that's apart from what God said. So as we enter into the house of God, recognizing who he is, recognizing the glory of the one that we've come to worship, that we draw near to listen. And in contrast to that is, rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Now he's going to talk about later in these next couple of verses of being so impulsive in your thoughts and in your words. This is something else. It doesn't necessarily have to be that you stand before anybody and say it. But there are times in which we can get so caught up in something that we, that we promise the Lord something when we have no intention of keeping it. We were stirred within our emotions or something like that. And we say, oh, Lord, yes, and you delivered that person in that kind of a way. If you would deliver me from what I'm going through, I will do this for you. I will whatever. And then whenever the prayer is answered and perhaps the Lord has delivered you, then you say, well, Lord, I really wasn't equipped to do that. I might have been a little too quick to tell you I could do that. What happened? They drew near to speak rather than to draw near to listen. And that's why Solomon's going to go on to say, it's better that you don't vow at all than to make a vow and have no intention of keeping it. But as Jesus says, when it comes to vow making, he says, let your yes be yes. So don't get so caught up in whatever it is. Allowing the trials of your life or the tribulations of your life to cause you to stumble in that kind of a way. When you come into the house of God, draw near to listen. God knows your heart. God knows what you're going through. He knows it better than you. So draw near to listen what the Spirit of God says to your heart through the word that he inspired. To bring healing, to bring comfort, to bring encouragement to you. Draw near to listen. And again, it's contrasted with rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they are doing evil. These are ones that have really no moral compass. We draw near to listen because we recognize who we're listening to. Now, in contrast to that, he's talking about those in this day, in Solomon's day, that would bring their sacrifices in accordance with the law. Maybe they're bringing their sacrifices because they recognize that they have caused a specific kind of an offense, and the only thing that they need to do is to bring this particular sacrifice, offer it up, and they're good. And so there's no thought taken to whom they are offering the sacrifice to. There's no thoughts 
that are going through their minds, whether or not this is genuinely from their hearts, this is something that they desire for God to forgive them and for God to restore them. They just come, this is what I'm supposed to do, and so here's the sacrifice. This worship is empty. Empty worship. Empty worship doesn't listen. Going through the motions is not something that pleases the Lord. And that's why there's so many things that he says here in order to prepare us as we enter into the house of God. That we're not just going through the motions while I'm here. I've done what I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm even singing. The song's up. I'm singing. But there's nothing, there's nothing of myself that, that is being brought into this worship. I'm not worshiping with my heart. I'm killing an hour or an hour and a half doing my duty. You know, Jesus spoke about the religious leaders in his day. He said, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people draws near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Fools do not hear and offer heartfelt worship. They come here and they go through the motions. And as Solomon is saying there of the ones in his day, they don't even know they're doing evil. They don't even know that they're offending God. What is it that God desires? Does he desire the formality of you going through the, the motions of worship? Or does he desire you to delight in him? What does he desire of you? Well, the answer is obvious. John Piper says God is most glorified when we are, are most delighted in him. How do you delight in the Lord? Again, by reflecting and remembering of who he is and everything that he's done for you. Do you remember where he brought you from? Do you remember what he delivered you from? Do you remember the path that you were once on in your life until God rescued you? You know, sometimes that is hard. That's a hard thing to do. And some and sometimes it, it's hard for me to remember. It's hard for me to remember what what was I thinking when I was an unbeliever. I can't remember. I know that I was selfish. I know that I was very self-centered. I know that I only really lived for me. I can remember that, but I can't. I can't remember trying to formulate um, the reality of life or any of those things when I was an unbeliever. Having that kind of an outlook, uh, outlook on life, I can't remember that. I remember even being in that state going to church. I grew up in church. I remember even singing. My dad and his brothers had a gospel quartet and so me and some of my cousins we would play some of their songs and sometimes we would play them in church standing before the people playing and singing having no idea having no idea what I was even singing about and not realizing that in my unregenerate state going through the motions of how much I was offending a holy God in his house had no idea. That's what he's saying. When you listen, you're listening to, to your Lord speak to you because you delight in him. For somebody that comes in, really doesn't matter. I'll sit here and hear somebody talk, but not recognizing that what they're saying is God speaking to his people and offending a holy God, offering the sacrifice of fools? 
not even knowing the evil that they're doing. Being so self-serving and self-centered in their own life and not acknowledging the holy God in whose presence that you are. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know, true worship begins with a recognition of who God is. Do you have that understanding of who God is? He's not like the gods that you see on TV. You know, it's interesting with, with many of the, the shows on TV and all of that, even if they are trying to depict the Christian God, it's always the same. It's always a pagan God. One of my favorite shows um, in the, probably the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years was depicting the Christian God, but he was no different than any other pagan god. Many people are exposed to, to that. Uh, Hollywood's uh, view of who God is. It always falls short. And actually, there are many things that are even done under the Christian umbrella that fall short. That's why when it comes to dramas... And plays, especially at Christmas time or Easter, they cannot convey to you the reality of the sufferings of Christ. Can't. No matter how hard they try, they can't. But what can? The Word of God can. And this is why we must depend upon the Word of God. When it comes to the recognition of who God is, who He says He is, and what it is that He has done, all of these things together give us a picture of who God is. That our hearts would yearn for Him even more. And do as He says in verse 7, He says, Rather fear God, that means to stand in awe of Him. How are you going to stand in awe of Him if you don't know who He is? And so true worship begins with that recognition of who God is and the desire to hear from Him, which is to draw near to listen. Draw near to listen. And then what is the next portion? Not offer the sacrifice of fools, which the implication of that is to deliver true heartfelt worship to him. As you recognize who he is, you hear what he says, your heart is yearning even more. Oh, Lord, be glorified. When you come into the house of God, are you coming with a recognition of who he is? Are you coming to just go through the motions? Or are you coming to give heartfelt worship to the God who saved you? What is our intentions when we come? And that's where Solomon is coming alongside of us and he's saying, Guard your steps, dear brother. Guard your steps, dear sister. As you enter the house of God and you remember when you enter into that place, you remember who that God is. And that, all of that together, is what helps to produce true worship in us, regardless of how our days have been. Sometimes we can have rough days. Sometimes we can have very long days. Sometimes our days aren't very, very nice. It's easy to worship God when everything's going well. It's, it's a little bit more when things are not going so well. But what do you do even in those situations? Things have went bad today. Maybe I said something that I shouldn't have. Maybe I just, I don't even want to be here. What is it that you preach to yourself as you enter into the house of God? Thank you. That you're not like me. Thank you that you are merciful. Thank you that you are forgiving. And thank you that you saved me in spite of myself. Maybe somebody has hurt you. 
cause suffering in your life, what do you do? Oh, Lord, you're the God who sees all. You know my pain. You know my suffering. You know the hurt that I'm feeling right now. But thank you that you are always faithful. Thank you that you provide the comfort that I need at every moment in my life, regardless of who tries to hurt me. There is the recognition of who God is as you enter into the place in which he is worshipped. That you can be comforted and you can be strengthened, not by manipulations, but by remembering who you're coming to worship. So dear brothers and sisters, guard your steps and draw near to listen. Hear what the Lord says to you and to give him genuine, heartfelt worship and recognition of who he is and all that he does for you every moment of every day. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, thank you again for your word. Father, thank you um, for the encouragement that we continually receive through your word, being applied to our hearts by the Spirit of God. Father, every one of us, at one time or another, have entered into this place irreverently, not remembering who we are coming to worship, but perhaps just trying to get through the service to make our appearances. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for that. We need you, Lord, to do the work within our hearts to help us to carry out the things that we read here. We're weak. We can't do it. So we depend upon you to produce these holy affections, this holy desire within our own hearts, that by the Spirit of God and His strength, and by Him changing our affections, helping us to be more committed that we can carry out what we read in Your Word, to delight in You as we enter into Your house and be eager to listen. Father, You are the Almighty God, the holy God who has called us out of darkness into your marvelous light, delivered us from your wrath, have made us the objects of your great love. Let us remember these wonderful truths and so much more that our hearts would yearn for you even more, that our hearts desire you uh, with, with everything in us. Father, thank you again. For this portion of your word, for each person here, help us, Lord, to do what's pleasing in your sight. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's children said, amen. Thank you for your attention, and you are dismissed.